Well, church, uh, it's been a it's been a um, difficult week um, here in our community. Uh, wanted to kind of address that first this morning. Um, many of you probably got the email correspondence over the week, and if you didn't, um, maybe you're not on our email uh, list. So if you want to be, make sure you talk to uh, Tina or Alicia. They can make sure you're you're signed up. But uh, right before church last Sunday, we, we got the, the very sad news that um, Evelyn Rose uh, Gonzalez passed away, or Martinez passed away. Um, Kayla Gonzalez, her mom, um, was uh, a student of mine and a dear friend of our families. And so it's been a very hard week uh, kind of caring uh, for her. Um, church, I just want to say, you know, as a community, um, so many has just really like moved together. Um, many of you responded to the email that I sent out and, and very, very thoughtful. Our church has time after time after time have, have been very, very good at really walking with people through these difficult times. And so whether that's a meal train or just visits in the hospital, um, I just want to say as a community, uh, I am so honored to be a part of this community and um, have felt your love. And I know um, Kayla has as well. Um, so uh, just wanted to talk through that. Um, we we want to continue as a, we're in this series called Family Values. And I think uh, the appropriateness of that. You know, we are a family. And when one of us suffer, we all suffer with it. You know, we, we weep with those who weep. And it's part of being a, a testifying family. We're going to talk about that this week. Uh, it's part of be, about being that community of faith that testifies to a world that uh, even in grief, we have hope. And uh, so uh, just please keep praying for, for Kayla and for her family. And there are some other really, really heavy things. Uh, uh, we're praying for the Zerbies. Crystal's sister is, is continuing a battle in, with cancer. There are some other people in our community that are hurting. So how important it is to be just a, a, a presence in someone's life, a presence of hope and prayer and support. And so thank you for being that church. Thank you for being that. And I know a lot of people are traveling during the summer. And if you're watching online, we want to thank you for for the ways you've cared for people in our community. Um, and it just was a reminder, any given Sunday, you just never know who's, who's hurting and what news that they are facing. Um, our church needs to be a place that people who hurt can just find love and find support, can find people who are going to point them back to Jesus when they feel lost. And uh, I I'm so thankful we are that and want to continue to uh, just pray in, toward that. And so... Uh, uh, you know, when you face things like this, you do, you wonder, like, how, how do people who don't have a relationship with Jesus face this kind of thing? You know, it's, 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 it's mind-boggling. So thank you. I want to just kind of pray, and then I'm going to move into our teaching today. But I felt just all of us together, if we could just lift up these. Lord, um, we just lift up this hard thing. And I pray for peace. I pray for hope. I pray for um, the grieving, that they would be reminded of that this is only temporary grieving, even though it's real and it's painful and it's deep. Lord, thank you that we can testify to the resurrection of Jesus and to the hope that's to come for us. Help us, Lord, to love people well and to walk with them and not to shy away from things when they're hard. Help us to lean in and be devoted to each other in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you, church. Thank you for, for that. Um, and just continue to pray. So we are in this series, and, and I think this has been an incredibly important series for our church. Uh, this last week, our staff was on a retreat, and I just want to tell you that the staff here, we are so committed to just really, really helping our church continue to just sharpen its values, because we believe that the values that we, that we say we believe, that, that, that we say we hold dear, they, that, that shapes our behaviors, and that turns into a culture. And, and you know, guys, I want to say this, like a healthy church culture is so important because people who come to faith in Jesus, people who become Jesus followers in a church that has a healthy church culture are going to be trained that we pray together, that prayer is not just something we talk about, but something we actually do. So that first week we talked about the value of prayer and we've been seeing prayer just start taking a deeper emphasis in the church. Every Sunday morning, there's 50, 60, 70, sometimes 90 people gathered here. I don't know, the number today was probably in the 60s or 70s, people gathering to pray before the service. And that is so encouraging to me as a church, or as, a, as, a, as one of the pastors here, that our church will gather and pray. And we're trying to get more ways for our church to gather and pray in your life groups, uh, because the more people pray, right, the more we're going to anticipate God doing some incredible things. Then Pastor Steve talked about the, the apostles' teaching and being a church committed to the apostles' teaching. We had um, just an incredible emphasis on that. Then we talked about being devoted to each other in that next sermon, about how, how the early church, this ancient church, they were devoted to one another. They called each other family. And then Chris did an outstanding job last week on Father's Day, um, talking about being a Christ, uh, I'm sorry, a cross-carrying Christian. That as a father, we, he mentioned that, that one quick scene from, from Simon of Cyrene, who's carrying the cross, and he leaves a legacy to his boys that, that he wanted them to see that their dad carried the cross. It was a physical cross. It was a literal cross. But we know that Simon's faith must have been passed on because we see his, his boys are in that early church. And so the most important thing we can give to our kids is parents that carry the cross, parents that live out, they demonstrate that to their children. And so that, that value of, of intimacy with God, that value of being a cross-carrying Christian was powerful last week. Um, so that's where we've been in this, in this series. And as I said, the, this series is important because we're really looking at these values that we, that we say we believe in. And these values create behaviors and these behaviors create cultures. And so I, I was thinking about that this week, and I, I was thinking about how important it is for us to really think deeply about what we value. Have you ever thought about the fact that your personal values shape your behaviors, and those behaviors shape your culture, right? In fact, I, I would say this, that every person in this room have made decisions based on their values, and those decisions have ultimately shaped the kind of life that you live, the story that your life is right? Some of us have made, we value, let's say, for example, like we value earning money, right? That's a value for us. Well, we make decisions based on that value. And pretty soon that becomes kind of the story, the shape of our story, right? Um, when we die and people talk about us, right? It might be that they talk about, hey, this person really valued earning money, right? And this person really Saw that kind of thing, right? Guys, every one of us are living out of our values, right? And, and I think sometimes we need to just stop and ask the question, like, 
are the decisions I'm making, is, is that really the story I want to be told of me? Right? Really, is that really what I want my life to be about? Now, I know I need to provide for my family. I need to you know, do certain things. But at the end of the day, that's the question we're really asking in this series. We're asking the question, what kind of church do we want to be? And I want to ask you as a person, what kind of a person do you want to be? Right? The values that you hold shape the decisions you make and ultimately become the story that you tell. Uh, I want to, the reason I was thinking about this is because we're going to introduce a new value today. And honestly, I think this value gives us so much direction in life. I think this value really is the thing that sets the cadence for our life. It's the thing that if we would really hold this value personally and collectively can really say, man, that's, that's a, a life that was well lived. That person, that church, those people, they were serious about the kingdom and they left a legacy behind it. I want to talk today about the value of being a testifying church. Uh, you can put it up here, guys. Our church enjoys testifying about Jesus. I want to talk about that for a second, okay? This, this is a, a powerful phrase, and I want us to actually repeat it together, okay? Because this is a collective value, and we're going to unpack this today. And even if you're not sure about it, I want you just to give me a chance here, okay? So here it is. Let's read it together. Our family enjoys testifying about Jesus. Guys, let me say this to you. You can't testify about Jesus and not smile. There is something about telling about Jesus, talking to other people about Jesus, being the kind of person that can bring Jesus up in a conversation or in some small way, in some small way, point people back to God. Even if it's not a full-on conversation about Jesus, it's just, a, it's just you got them to think about God. Like When you talk about Jesus, when you tell other people about that conversation, you're smiling, right? There's something about when you get an opportunity. Now, I want you to ask yourself that question. Like, when was the last time you had an opportunity to do that? When was the last time you had an opportunity to talk to a friend, a coworker, maybe a family member, and, and you look back and you thought, man, I think God gave me something to say to them. I think that, that I think God used me. I'll tell you a quick story. I, uh, when I was in high school, we had this new family move to our, our, our city, and they, they lived next door to the pastor. And pretty soon, the pastor invited them to church, and they started to come to church. And, and this kid was near my age, and his whole family became Jesus followers. It was amazing. This guy was maybe six months younger than me. He was six foot four, tall guy. Um, and the pastor said, hey, Brad, um, would you take Robin through some of the new beginning Bible studies? I had never done that before. I was a junior in high school, I think. And I was like, really? Me? And so I started to meet this guy every week, and we would go through these little beginning Bible studies, kind of like the power of yes. And every week, Robin would ask questions. He was hungry. And at some point, he committed his life to Jesus. And, and he was just, everything I would say, he was like writing it down. We had homework to do. We took it really seriously. Guys, can I tell you that during that time meeting with Robin, and we became great friends. He ended up coming to school here. He ended up coming, uh, playing basketball with me. We both went to college together. Guys, today he's a pastor in Seattle. I mean, it's a crazy story, right? But I'm just letting you know, like that was probably more impacting on me than on Robin. Because for the first time in my life as a Christian, I was playing offense, not just defense. I wasn't just kind of like trying not to sin and trying to be a good person. That's defense, right? I was actually helping the kingdom move forward on offense. 
And guys, it changed my life. I, I, I had these experiences like when I'd come home, I'm like, Robin asked me a question and I didn't even know I knew it, but I knew it, you know, because I've been going to church like my whole life. And so Robin would ask me questions that were kind of brand new for him. And I'm like, yeah, well, I, let me tell you about that. And let me explain what that verse means. I don't think I'd even be a pastor today had I not had that opportunity as a high school kid. Like literally that was the switch for me. Guys, let me tell you, there's something amazing that happens when you make that switch. When you start to testify about Jesus, when you start to just say, okay, I don't know a lot, but I can share what I do know, or I can share what happened to me. I want to kind of show you this in scripture. So I want to point to you to this story in the book of Acts, because we've been a lot in the book of Acts where these values we see in the ancient church are. This is in chapter four. And what's happened in chapter four is just powerful. But let me get to the end of chapter four to give you a summary. and We'll go back. Look at the unity we have at the, of the church because they're all involved in the mission. Look what it says. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. In the next verse, with great power, the apostles continued to, let's all say it, testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. So I want you to picture this, this, this summary, okay? Luke is writing the book of Acts and he's reflecting on the health of the church. And these are the earliest days of the church. And he says, guys, it was amazing. You know, can you kind of picture the story? It's like when you were a part of something, maybe you were part of an of, of a, of a exciting movement or an exciting grand opening, and you were part of the, the ground floor of it, and you're telling someone years later about what it was like to be there. It's almost like Luke's doing that. He's like, guys, it was amazing. The apostles were testifying to the resurrection of Jesus. The, the church was growing. People were all unified. Like everyone was on the same page. We were all headed the same direction. In fact, if someone had a need, no one even considered their possessions their own. They were just sharing what they had because this was an incredible uh, moment in church history. And so I want to kind of back up from that summary to what happened right before this because you're going to see the battle that's happening. It's powerful. In Acts 4, in Acts 3, I should say, Peter and John are entering the temple, and there's a, a man there that's lame. I believe Pastor Steve talked about this story. And they heal this man in Jesus' name. Well, it causes a stir. Everyone's kind of like, what's going on? How's this guy walking? You know, what, what, what's going on here? And they're preaching about Jesus on the temple, in the temple area. Lots of people are hearing. Well, Peter and John get in trouble for this, okay? They're brought in before the Jewish leaders, the same Jewish leaders that that led to the crucifixion of Jesus. And I want to show you what happens. This is in, earlier in chapter four. Look what happens. The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were preaching to the people because they'd just done this healing. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. Look at this. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. 
So talk about this explosion onto the scene, right? This early church in chapter two has the Holy Spirit descend. Thousands of believers become Jesus followers at that moment. And then as the apostles continue to preach and teach, now this another wave of thousands of people become Jesus followers. So it's, it's growing in popularity. The, the leadership of Israel do not like this. They do not like that this Jesus movement hasn't stopped with the crucifixion of Jesus. In fact, it's getting larger. And so they're bringing Peter and John into, in, in before them. They throw them in prison. But here's what happens the next day. And this is the part I want you to see. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was, was there. As so were Caiaphas, the guy who was leading Jesus' execution, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Now, I want you guys to picture what's happened here. You have Peter and John. Remember, we think of Peter and John like as in high esteem today, right? Because Peter and John, I mean, wow, right? But remember, this is Peter the fisherman. This is John the fisherman, right? Peter, James, and John, they were like fishing buddies, right? These are not highly educated, like ready to defend anything kind of people. They're just regular Joe, right? Average Joe guys. But they had been with Jesus. Jesus is gone now. And Peter and John are now, they've been in jail all night. They're now brought before the most powerful ruling body in Jerusalem, the same group that was behind Jesus's execution. And they're brought in before those guys. All right. So I want you to understand that before we read what we're about to read, because this is about to get really good. Are you guys ready to get really excited here? This is awesome. Look at that. By what power or name did you do this? I mean, that, that comes out pretty, pretty quick, right? Like Peter's brought in, John's brought in, and they're questioning them about this healing that happened. Can you just picture that for a second? Arms crossed. Hey, but what power or authority did you do this? Who do you think you are? Let me translate it, right? Who do you think you are leading some kind of movement that potentially could be rebellious, right? Because this is Jesus. He, he made some particular claims about himself that he was King Jesus. This is powerful. I like verse eight. Look what he says. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness showed to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. I love that so much. Whom God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. This is the power of a preacher. Come on. This is not Peter the fisherman. This isn't Peter the one that's like, you know, in the middle of the water, like falling and Jesus having to rescue. This is a whole new animal. This is Peter filled with the spirit, standing toe to toe with the most powerful people in Jerusalem. And he is not backing down an inch. That's powerful preaching. That's a man filled with the spirit. This is powerful. You guys, this is incredible because it's Peter. 
You could maybe picture a Paul. We know later that this man, Paul, he becomes a disciple of Jesus. He's trained in oratory. He's, he's well-trained in the, in, the, in, the, in the schools of the day. He brought, was brought up under the, the teaching of the most revered rabbi of the day, Gamaliel. I mean, Paul was an educated man, right? That's why Paul wrote 13 letters of the New Testament. But Peter is not. How is Peter doing this? Look, look what Peter goes on to say. He says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by, what, by which we must be saved. That's powerful, yeah. That's 2,000 years later, you feel this message, right? 2,000 years later, you're like, What? Notice what these leaders say. This is so interesting. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Can I just say something to you? Something happens to you when you spend time with Jesus. Something powerful starts to take place in your life when you make a decision that you're going to spend time with Jesus. Spending time with Jesus gives purpose to your life. It gives clarity to the decisions you need to make. So many of us, I think, live in a fog of decision. Like, we're not quite sure what we should do, right? And we have so many options, so many choices. And so many times, I think that the enemy just loves it when we kind of stay in a fog, right? If you want some clarity, spend time with Jesus. If you want some boldness, if there are some, if there are some Sanhedrins in your life that you know you need to confront, guys, don't dare do that without spending time with Jesus. The reason Paul, Peter had the answers he had wasn't because he had education. We know he didn't. It's because he spent time with Jesus. Can I just say this to us all as a church right now? There is some, I'm telling you, there is a, a switch that will flip in your walk the minute you decide that you are going to A, spend time with Jesus, and B, you're going to get into the game. You're not going to just watch other people, but you're going to say, God, I'm willing to go on the offense. I'm willing to start testifying about Jesus wherever you put me, right? If you're putting me in front of the Sanhedrin, I'm going to testify about Jesus, and I'm going to lean on him for that spirit-filled boldness. You know, I think a lot of us don't know what it feels like to be filled with the Spirit. Can I just be really transparent? And that breaks my heart as a pastor. I mean, it really does, because, guys, being filled with the Spirit should be the regular experience of a follower of Jesus. We should know what it feels like to be filled with the Spirit regularly. I'm actually writing my entire dissertation on that topic, that we as a church should be regularly filled with the Spirit and testifying about Jesus. It should just be the normal course of our life. But can I say something to you? The Holy Spirit doesn't fill people who sit on the chair. The Holy Spirit just doesn't fill people unless he's filling them for a job that they're doing. That's the purpose of the filling of the Spirit. The Spirit always is filling us for a purpose of ministry in some sort, some way, some outpouring, because what comes into us needs to go out from us. Are you with me, church? We all hearing this today? Guys, I think there are some people that we live near, that we work with, that we encounter on a regular basis, that the Holy Spirit is dying to fill you with his word so you can speak that to that person. 
That's the power of testifying. Peter was not extraordinary. The text tells us he's ordinary. I mean, it's awesome. I, this guy's an ordinary dude. Like, and so I think that takes one of our big excuses off the table. Because how many of us have used that excuse? Well, I'm just not qualified. I just haven't had you know, enough education. What if I say something wrong? What if I just don't know what? Guys, <laughs> the point that God uses Peter is supposed to take that off the table so that you can say, well, if he could use that guy, then I guess he could use me. Guys, you, you really need to understand, God loves using ordinary people. He loves it because so much of the glory goes right back to him. When the ordinary do the extraordinary, there's this X factor called the Holy Spirit, and he gets all the glory for it. I'm trying to preach today. You guys hearing me today? <laughs> Man, guys, I know you've heard this before, but the greatest ability you have is availability. It's seriously, the, the most important thing you can give to God is the yes that you put on the table. Some of you just, it's just this question that you have to, and maybe it's just you spending more time with Jesus and saying, God, I have so much fear. I have so much pride. I'm afraid what people will think of me if I try to talk about you. I don't know. I don't know what your hangup is because we all have a bunch and I have a bunch, okay? And I'll talk about mine in a second. But like, guys, at some point, you just got to say, Lord, I got to get past this and I got to spend time with you and believe. And here's the deal, that when I take that step, you're going to fill me with boldness. He doesn't fill you with boldness before you take the step. That's part of the, the tricky thing here. It's in taking the step, you get the boldness and the word. Right? You guys hearing this, okay? Let me tell you a quick story. So, so um, the other day, my, my wife dropped me off at the airport and um, um, I'm going to Chicago for class. And so I'm leaving the airport or leaving the car, going into the airport. And there's this guy out front of the airport. And um, he had tats like head to toe and looked kind of rough, you know, just looked like he was, I don't know, going through something or something. Walked past him. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, tell him that I love him. Well, I'm not telling that guy. The Holy Spirit loves him. <laughs> so I keep walking, right? But you know, I hang out with Chris. It's another little point. If you hang out with people who are like putting their yes on the table, it's going to help you put your yes on the table. Side note, okay? And I watch Chris do this. I love, I love hearing Alexis talk about Chris. Like, yeah, all of a sudden, Chris is just like, I got to go talk to that guy, right? Like, so, so I hear, so I get to <laughs> the check-in. I go, okay, Lord, I go, so I do, I pull a Chris, I turn, do a 180, I go out there, and I say, hey, man, when I walked past you, it just felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to tell you that God loves you. And that guy just cussed me out. No, he didn't. No. You know what he did? See, that's what we think is going to happen. Isn't that true? Like, we think that they're going to, like, throw rocks at us or something, right? You know what he did? His eyes instantly filled with tears. I am not kidding you. And he says, I can't believe you're telling me that. He goes, I was just now thinking so much, and he used some choice language. And he goes, really? I said, bro, I don't know why the Holy Spirit put you on my heart just now, but I just think you need to call out to the Lord. Just know that God loves you. And that was it. That was it. I walked on, got on my plane. It was all my, I feel like that was all my job was. I didn't have to grab my Bible. And 
I just had to tell him God loves him. Like, it's like it's sometimes testifying about Jesus is that simple. It's just, hey, God loves you. Hey, you know, I just feel like, man, I don't need, and you might say, well, Brad, how do you know God's telling you that? Guys, I'm gonna be real honest with you. I don't always know. I, sometimes it's like 60-40, you know? It's like, ah, right? But honestly, at the end of the day, like, if I'm wrong, what's the worst thing? I told him that God loves him. Like, that's not a bad thing to tell someone, right? But honestly, when you really are like, Lord, you have my yes, and all of a sudden you get this really feel, like this sense, like that person needs to know, just lean it, just go with it, right? Just, just, just go with it. I'm getting off track. I got to get back to my sermon. You guys hearing this, though? This is about just saying, Lord, I'm going to spend time with you. I'm going to believe that you have a job for me today because I value testifying. I'm going to make decisions in line with that value. And pretty soon, God willing, I'm going to have a a life story that is all aligned with this idea. Brad testified about Jesus. He was a testifier. Guys, I want to say that one of the greatest things that could be said about us is that we are testifying church, that we testify about Jesus. So, so let's look what happens. So this whole thing unfolds with Peter. He has this bold moment. And, and I want to show you. So you might say, well, that's Peter and that's John. Those are the apostles. What about the rest of the church? Well, as the story goes, and you can read the book of Acts on your own, but some of you already know the story. After this initial persecution, more persecution happens. One of the first deacons that's appointed by this early church is martyred by a mob of people. And one of the people in that mob is a guy named Saul, but becomes Paul, or his, his Roman name is Paul. And, um, and he's there, and Stephen is, is killed. And in Acts chapter 8, we get a little taste of what happens. Look what it says. A great wave of persecution began that day. This was the day that Stephen was killed. Sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered, this is important, were scattered through the regions of Judea, Samaria. Some of the devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. So I want you to picture this this persecution that now starts with Stephen's martyrdom. And now we have the church kind of scattering out from Jerusalem. Verse three, it says, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. You really see the spiritual battle here. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But look at this. But the believers who were scattered preached the word of, or preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. If there is a theme verse today, it's this verse right here. I want you to see this. Wherever these believers went, they preached the good news about Jesus. So I want you to picture a bonfire. And I want you to picture someone taking a big rock and hucking it into this bonfire. And all of a sudden, you have these embers that just shoot out from the bonfire. And now wherever those embers land, little fires start. The, the rock is like the persecution. The, the enemy's trying to throw this big rock at the church. But instead of defeating the church, and this should give you great encouragement this morning, church, instead of defeating the church, he spreads the church. Satan's trying to stamp the church out. And in fact, he spreads the church out. Can you can I get an amen to that? And that's what starts to happen. And so now these believers are sp- spread out everywhere, taking the good news of Jesus. In chapter 11, look what it says in chapter 11. A couple of, a couple of uh, weeks go by. Or, Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. 
They preached the, the, the word of God, but only to the Jews at first. Here's the next verse. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. That story just continues and continues. Guys, here's what's happening. The early church, these, these people valued testifying about Jesus. I, 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 if you were to interview one of the members of that early church, and you were just ask them, hey, tell me what it was like to be a part of that early church. He'd be like, hey, we prayed, we prayed a lot together. Guys, we, we valued the apostles' teachings. Like, when, when the apostles preached to us, we hung on every word. And we didn't just hear it. We went out and did what they said. We were devoted. We were a family. Like, we called each other brothers and sisters, even though we, we weren't related. And we valued intimacy. And one of the th- intimacy with God. And, and one of the things that we did, they would tell you, is everywhere we went, we just couldn't help but talk about Jesus. Everywhere we went, we just testified about Jesus. Guys, can I say something to you? Whatever you are in love with, you talk about. Whatever you are excited about, you talk about. And that could be anything as trivial as a hockey team to anything as important as the resurrection of Jesus. Does our, does our world need hope? Does our world need to know that this isn't all there is? That God loves them? Does our world need to know that Jesus defeated death and that even Christians, when we suffer and when we grieve, we don't grieve without hope? Guys, the world needs to know all these things. I think that there was so much catalyst behind this because I think they were excited about the resurrection. I wonder how many of us are really excited about the resurrection, like on a daily basis. This week, I couldn't help but think about the resurrection every day. And if you read my little reflection, you you saw that. Every day, just thinking about Jesus, one day whispering, get up. The world is hurting. The world needs hope. The world needs a church that testifies about that hope. We can't let the cares of this world dilute our love for Jesus and our joy in the resurrection. We cannot let anything take that away from us. We need community that reminds us of that hope. You need decisions that align with that hope. Some of us need to wake up in the morning and say, God, I, I will, I determine, I purpose to be a testifier of good news. Maybe you don't like this phrase, but I think it's kind of funny. I want to be a hope dealer. <laughs> I like that. I'm not a drug dealer. I'm a hope dealer, right? Because there's a whole lot of people that need hope. Look at what happens with the early church. Let me show you this real quick. Look at this overview. I'm just going to go rapid through this. Many who heard the message believed, so the number of men grew to about 5,000. We already looked at that one. Look at the next one. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed, and the Lord added to the number. Uh, next one, the word of God spread. This is in six. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. A large number of priests became obedient. Look at the next one. The church throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria enjoyed time of peace 
So they weren't being persecuted at this time and strengthened living in the fear of the Lord, encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and it increased in number. Look at the next one. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Look at the last one. They traveled from town to town and the church grew daily. By the end of the third century, here's a map of what the church looks like. This small, tiny group of followers in Jerusalem literally conquer the Roman Empire by going from town to town and testifying wherever they went. That's their map. Here's our map. Here's Henderson. All of us live probably in some vicinity here. And what if we looked at our lives like those early ancient disciples looked at theirs? And everywhere I go, every job I have, every place, I testify about Jesus. I did this uh, little side job for this guy recently. Over the last year, we became friends. Wanted to help him with his projects at his house and lend him tools and everything. Out of the blue, we've had a lot of conversations, but out of the blue, he told me that he wanted to meet up because he'd started going back to church and he had some questions. His text, if I could read his text to you, it says, Brad, I know this might sound silly. I want to believe, but I just have so many questions. <laughs> Do you think we could meet? I'm like, no, nah, I don't have time to meet with you. <laughs> like, Are you kidding me right now? Like, absolutely. Guys, some crazy things happened in this man's life this week where he was near death unexpectedly. It was wild. Can I just say, like, that right there to me was such confirmation of how important it is to be a testifier, to be a testifier to people so that when the Spirit nudges them, you are the person they call. You with me on that? Be a testifier. Guys, can I, I want to give you a, a, an action step right now. I want everyone to do this right where you're sitting. You have your phones. You might be already on your phones. Just scroll over to the note app, okay? And, and can you, can you, can you, on a note app, can you do something for me? I want you just to take a, a minute and pray. And I'm going I'm to tell you what to pray. Right where you sit, I want you to pray. Lord, put to my mind two to three people that are in my orbit that I know need Jesus. Give me a name. Maybe it's a guy you work with, a gal you work with, a neighbor. And I want you to ask the Spirit to put a name on your mind, two or three people. And I want you to write their names on that note app, okay? And then here's my action step. Once you get that done, maybe you do this later, but if you can do it now, I want you to commit before God and these witnesses, okay? It's like a wedding, okay? Um, that you are gonna pray for them every day, every single day. This is you getting off the bench, right, church? This is you getting off the bench and into the game. Every day you're praying for these two or three people, okay? Because this is gonna be a great experiment for, in your walk with Jesus. I promise you, if you do what I'm saying, you're about to go past the point of no return. Like you're going to go over the waterfall and like, whoa, right? Because this is going to be where it gets amazing. Because all of a sudden, these people you pray for are going to start being more open to the good news. You're going to, have, I, I promise you, somehow, some way, you're going to have an opportunity to testify to them. But you have to pray for them. 
That's the first thing. Second thing I want you to do is this. I want you to pray a prayer like this every morning. This is your action step. God, help me to testify today. And I want you to ask the Lord specifically if there's one person every day that you can just point back to God. I'm not saying you have theological conversations and you're opening scripture. That might not happen. But a simple, hey, God loves you. Or, hey, can I pray for you? Or, hey, you know, can I just tell you I love Jesus and, you know, whatever it is. I don't know. Like one simple nudge every day with people around you. Just be on mission. Can I have everyone stand as we, uh, as we end today? And I want us to just have a moment after church here. If there are people on your heart that you want to pray for, if there's a person on that list that you know isn't saved and you want to pray for them right now, after service, I want you to come forward and you can just pray for these people up here. Maybe grab your, a prayer partner with our prayer team and say, hey, these are some people I'm working with. These are people I'm, I'm concerned about. I want you just to have a moment. I want to give you that opportunity to pray for those people right now. Maybe you came to church though and maybe there's some heavy burdens you're carrying. As I said earlier, never know what we're carrying. We have a prayer team that wants to pray with you. Maybe you want to come forward and just say, hey, can you pray for my friend or pray for this situation? Right after church, right now, you can pray for them. But I always, always want to end every service with a clear presentation of the good news of Jesus. And I'd like you all to bow your heads and I'd like to tell you this good news. And maybe you're here and you've never given your life to King Jesus. I want to give you the message right now. Here it is. Here it is. God loves you. God knows everything about you and he still loves you. He loves you with an unquenchable love and he's pursuing you. He wants you. But you and I, we've sinned against God. We've done wrong things. And so God has done what is necessary to remove that. And what he did was an awful price. He sent Jesus, his only son, to take on himself our sins and die on the cross to remove the thing that stood between us and God. And if you will trust Jesus and receive his forgiveness, if you'll tell God that you know you've sinned and that you want Jesus to be your savior, that you believe he died and you rose from the dead, you can be adopted into God's family. And right where you stand, you can become a follower of Jesus. And in July, we're gonna have a baptism and you can publicly declare your faith in Jesus in front of all of us as you get baptized. If you right there where you stand, pray a prayer, Lord, I want you to save me. I believe in Jesus. I turn my heart away from my sins. I want you to forgive me. I trust in Jesus right now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.